Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sanya Faruqi Show. Joining us today, we have a journalist from Canada, Kiran Nazish. She's the founding director of the Coalition of Women in Journalism, a worldwide support organization for women journalists. Kiran is a longtime journalist and has worked as a war correspondent covering Middle East, South Asia, and Mexico, among many places. She's also a distinguished professor at Brandon University in Canada. Kiran, thank you so much for coming on the Sanya Show. I know this is an extremely busy time and I truly appreciate that uh, you you know you took your time out and you've come and you've given us a chance to have a very important conversation so thank you again so much. Thank you Sonia thank you for having me and also I have to say like it's after two weeks down we were so busy with the Afghanistan evacuations so now literally today is like the first day I'm having which is like a little slower because the U.S. has pulled out three days ago. Yeah. Um, so thank you for having me and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Likewise. So um, before we begin, I want to understand a little more about you. You've been covering conflict zones in South Asia and the Middle East for nearly two decades. What led you to become a war correspondent and how has your experience been and how has the world changed over the years that you've covered conflict? Yeah, totally. The world has changed a lot. In fact, I was just having a conversation with a colleague of mine. Uh, who's also spent around two decades and we were like talking about how different everything is now. Uh, the industry has changed a lot. Uh, well, I, I actually started with print um, as an editor um, at Dawn newspapers um, and did that for a couple of years and then went into TV. So most of my early career was spent, apart from my starting off at, as a print reporter and editor, um, it started, it was mostly a lot of television. I was doing production, I was a producer, and then eventually I was a director for a couple of years um, before I became a foreign correspondent. And um, it was around 2009 when I started working for foreign media. Um, you probably remember the, the time was kind of like at the peak of terror attacks in Pakistan. Um, you know, suicide bombing, et cetera, um, Benazir, uh, you know, got, got targeted as well. So around that time was when I sort of started transitioning into foreign journalism and covering conflict in Pakistan. And that kind of led me to um, cover the tribal areas, the, the border with Afghanistan, and um, then eventually Afghanistan itself. And um, this was already way down in, you know, in the post 9-11 world where you know conflict was at its peak um there were you know terror there were factions of terrorist groups like taliban al-qaeda haqqani all of them had factions um pakistan had its own taliban had already been working and thriving in that so i kind of like sort of started covering conflict right in the thick of it um and sort of that kind of led me to cover other countries as well where i eventually you know of course uh, for a couple of years terrorism kind of became my beat um so I covered Afghanistan, um, Iraq, Syria. Um, eventually I covered Mexico, which is very different, um, drug cartels and stuff. But yeah, I, I think that the industry has changed a lot since then. Um, I think we, our generation, so I started my career somewhere around 1999-2000, was like December 1999, so approximately 2000. And right after 9-11 happens and the news industry itself was kind of transforming, um, this is also around that time, around that, in that decade, we're talking about the 2000s, in that decade, a lot of foreign media was, uh, because of the safety challenges for foreign presses and bureaus, they were 
wrapping up their uh, their bureaus. Um, Arab Spring happened right around that time in that decade. So we saw a lot more freelancers and a lot more um, internet, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, all of these things, they were changing how journalism es essentially has, it has been in this decade that we're in. So um, I think that a lot, I call myself old school um, um, because, you know, I'm from that era, which is pre, you know, BuzzFeed and pre, uh, you know, uh, having no bureaus in foreign countries. Um, and a lot has changed. Um, and I think that we, we you know, I, I mean, I, I, I had to adapt um, in the last, uh, you know, decade that I had to adapt to the new changes as well. Um, but yeah, I think that journalism has become less safer for journalists. Um, um, it's, uh, you know, just fewer and fewer resources, fewer and fewer um, bureaus means less, you know, uh, systems of support for journalists recovering conflict. Um, or any foreign countries like journalists, um, you know, in, in almost all the countries where you had like these regional massive bureaus, those, you know, becoming smaller and more freelancers working made, made the industry more precarious. And that sort of increased the safety challenges that a lot of times local journalists and foreign journalists both face. And in 2017, you decided to go ahead and form the Coalition for Women in Journalism. And it's, it was the first nonprofit to provide mentorship to women journalists in Western and non-Western countries. Tell us a little about your organization how, and how did the idea to uh, you know, form this come to you? Thank you. I mean, I think it took years and years, right? I, I grew up in Pakistan, started my career there, then worked in South Asia a little bit, Middle East, worked in the US. Um, and I saw one thing consistent in my throughout my career was the lack of support systems for women within newsrooms. This is the pre-Me Too. Me Too happened three years after we, we kind of formed the coalition. So around the time when I was thinking about like, why aren't there any, you know, support systems for women, this kind of like went on throughout my career. Um, you know, India and Pakistan have very similar cultures. So we, you know, misogynistic newsrooms, uh, women who were on the top had to do a lot, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and sometimes in, in that they earned a bad reputation for doing that to be cutthroat to be on the top of the newsroom. So you see women leaders in our part of the world have, and, and in the West as well, have been um, often demonized for being cutthroat too. But they, it took a lot for women to be on the top. And those women never represented women in the middle and at the bottom. Um, and so like, there was a lot of like years of lessons and frustrations and bullying. Like I think as women, we all faced bullying and seeing that for me and my colleagues and what we had to do to, um, you know, be able to be present in the industry. Um, a, a, a part of this, a reflection of this, we are seeing in online trolling today, you know, how women are bullied online. It's the same thing that happened in the industry before. Um, and, um, and then I think it was, I was, um, I, I was in, I got threats in Pakistan uh, for some of my work, which I actually, I was based in Iraq, um, 215. Um, but then I went back to, you know, finish a story um, to Pakistan, just went back for a couple of months and was targeted. Uh, um, and my colleagues were targeted, my sources were reached out to. So it was a really bad situation after which I kind of went into um, exile, self-imposed, if you may, 
Um, but you know, I couldn't go back to Pakistan and I, I wasn't safe there. My sources weren't safe there. My, uh, my translators uh, who worked with me weren't safe there. Um, got threats, um, you know, they also got threats. Um, so um, it was around that time I was in exile. I went back to Iraq. Um, we were covering ISIS at the time, uh, waiting for Mosul to happen, but Mosul was kind of on a, on, a, on a pause at the time. Um, by the United States and and by Iraqi Peshmerga. And um, I went through a lot of like emotional turmoil. I think kind of things started so just to us stacking up around that time. You know, being in an extreme environment on the front line, you know, of ISIS and and just like the trauma started hitting. And um, I went back to New York and, you know, dealt with dealt with panic attacks, got some treatment around that time. I started reaching out to other women who were senior before that I had been at the New York Times and some of my colleagues uh, who were, you know, 20 years ahead of me in the career um, had Pulitzer Prizes. I'm talking about women in, in one of the best newsrooms in the world. Um, and I spoke to them and I was like, how did you guys do this? And, and everyone said that we did not, we had to do it on our own. We did not have mentors. Mentors were for the men. Um, and most of the times women never had mentors. And I was like really surprised. And that kind of like started the whole conversation of starting a mid-career mentorship program. And I do want to point out that our mentorship program is essentially for mid-career journalists. Um, um, there is a reason behind that. After after you know those conversations, I was in. I went to Mexico to cover Mexico for a while. Around that time, I sort of did a survey in Mexico, U.S., and Canada with 101 editors and reporters to find out how women were doing in these in their newsrooms. And we found that around 62% women uh, never got any support, and they they had stalled in their careers. 62% women in, in industry in North America and parts of South America had stalled in their careers after four to five years in their careers. So that means that mid when women journalists were arriving to mid-career, like somehow they were making it and four to five years, they were stalled and they were either leaving journalism, they were facing trauma, they were, you know, they complained about bullying, harassment. Uh, I'm not even talking about sexual harassment, which was also one of the huge elements um, that came out of in that in that survey, but we found that women, you know, did not have support systems. So, which is why you know, like we formed the the mid career mentorship program, which essentially I we launched it in seven countries at the time. These were the countries where I had networks in, so we partnered with different newsrooms. Um, and um, yeah, like every year uh, we do, we open our mentorships twice a year, and this is for anyone who is mid career um and a woman or an lgbtq journalist um and seeks to get support from a mentor um and i must mention that these mentorships are not only career mentorships they're not like taking a workshop on how to get published or how to pitch a story it's more like a one-on-one -on -one relationship with your mentor who would guide you through your you know emotional yeah Okay, um, but your, your organi organization also covers press freedom in almost 92 countries and you've managed to provide a very safe platform for women journalists and LGBTQ journalists from around the world. Tell us a little why you think press freedom has become such a challenge and why are women regularly being attacked just for doing their jobs? 
So I will start with telling you something um, that is very important and the reason why we formed it, you know, our, our work already, like we were already overwhelmed uh, with doing the mentorships um, and, and the work that we did in the mentorship program. And, but then uh, through the mentorship program, we also had like networks that we had built in certain countries where we were in touch with journalists who were like either part of our network or part of the mentorship program. These are two different things at the time. Oh, now it's kind of like something very like um, in, in the same kind of arena. So everything's like, everything's in the same arena now. Our networks sort of filter uh, messages um, through which we learn what it, what the needs. Um, but um, so we, we started learning that some of our mentees and mentors who were getting attacked in different kinds of ways. So, you know, one of them, uh, one of our um, mentors, essentially her house was raided. One of our mentees was sexually harassed. Um, in fact, she was um, she, she was raped by a police officer um, in, in Cyprus. Um, uh, we had like mentors and mentees who were getting attacked in different ways. And we, we were like, this is not being documented. A lot of times these attacks were not to be documented because of the challenges that women face and they don't want to talk about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how they're being targeted because it affects their career, the stability, you know, the network, and they don't want to, you know, look um, um, insecure in front of their sources or the people they're working with. And even in the industry, our industries are so competitive, yeah. right? Like we need to, we need to remember the fact that women work in, in an industry in journalism we men compete with us all the time we are kind of on our own and then women who have to you know it's just very difficult layers of difficulty so we started finding that like when women journalists were getting targeted actually one of uh, one of the journalists was not in our network she was abducted by the pakistani agencies um, and I fought for her case for, I'm not going to name any international organizations, but we tried getting the international organizations that work on press freedom to take these cases. And we kept on hearing no's in every occasion for months. Um, there were cases that I literally went to everyone, especially the journalist uh, who was abducted, Zeenat Shazadi. I fought for her case and no one wanted to take that case and even document her. And one of the, one of the responses that I got was, uh, she's not a journalist. Um, now, as you know, that a lot of times women, women journalists work for local media in, in the Arab world, in South Asia, Asia, like it's hard to find English content that you can go online and, and you know, say that, you know, that you can find out like their record of being a journalist because they're writing for local media or they're radio journalists or they're TV journalists and there's no content online that can be Googled, right? In English, especially. So we saw that like when women were targeted first of all it was not taken seriously secondly there was all of these arguments about whether they were journalists or not like the same thing that we hear in the me too conversation about you know credibility of a woman in an industry in a profession we saw that uh, for women journalists especially when they were not very prominent journalists these were the most vulnerable journalists these were the journalists who did not have access to resources from newsrooms they did not work for newsrooms who were you know that that had the resources um you know uh, as you know local media has been suffering around the world so we thought we saw that women in, in our networks or women that we knew about who were in journalism were the most uh, vulnerable and they were easily targeted. And it did not make sense to me that like, if someone gets abducted and you know they, it's because they are a journalist, 
that 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 would not be documented because of some sort of you know methodology of documenting them. So, anyways, um, in um, in December two eighteen, we launched our press freedom advocacy program, which essentially documents um, harassments, violations against women journalists. Mostly, we focus on on particularly the kind of physical violations that are taking place on, offline. So, this includes everything between journalists getting targeted physically, physical assaults by police, um, um, legal uh, cases, a lot of, um, we have like a huge number of women journalists who are in prison in Turkey, Iran, Saudi Arabia, China. Um, and so we document all of those harassments, we follow their um, cases and we lobby when we can, when it's necessary to lobby with allies um, in the government, um, but also like in the industry, um, in the legal um, um, area, sometimes in, with opposition members like in, in Turkey um, and Pakistan, we've been able to work with people who are in the parliament and to raise the issue of safety of women journalists in the parliament. I also want to mention about the, the press freedom newsroom is like now we are the only press freedom um, newsroom which covers uh, violations against women and LGBTQ journalists from 92 countries. Um, and uh, it is it, it has been our work that that sort of highlighted how women journalists have been targeted around the world. And we are we are happy to see that a lot of other international organizations that were ignoring, um, you know, violations against women and LGBTQ journalists are now paying attention. Um, and that's, uh, you know, essentially that's what we want. We want we want the, you know, the industry to care about women and see how they're targeted. Um, and so that we know what to do and where to work on, you know, when we are trying to assist journalists, we, we need to understand what the industry looks like and where women stand, you know, in that industry. Yeah. Coming to what's happening in Afghanistan with all the reports of journalists and government officials and citizens of the country fleeing and your, your organization has been helping and has rescued over 80 journalists and women, women's rights activists and others from Afghanistan. Tell us a little about how that is going and what kind of risk is involved in these evacuations. Have any of your members faced any threats or abuse or harassment of any kind? This is an extremely extensive and dangerous project and it's ongoing. So of course, keeping the security aspect of it uh, you know, intact without giving, in, giving out too much information, but just tell us a little about how this entire project has been going for you. Um, thank you, Sania, for this question. It is a question of the time. It is the issue of the time for when it comes to um, press freedom um, and women journalists. Um, so it was. It's. Um, it's. This is not something that we've done before. You know, evacuations at that mass scale. But I don't think anyone has worked on a situation like this, this after twenty years of war. Um, you know, of the UI, United States pulling out recklessly. Um, and and leaving organizations like ours to do the to do the work um, that governments should have been doing. So um, I can tell you a little bit about like how it started. It was something completely unplanned um, that we got involved. We when the Taliban took over Kandahar, we started getting messages from journalists in our network um, who were in Kandahar. These were Afghan women journalists as well as foreign correspondents, um, French, American, and Spanish. Uh, reporters and we 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 were getting panicky messages from them that we need to get out. Um, can you get us out? 
And slowly the airport started closing as well. I think uh, the airport uh, shut down in a day or so within the whole takeover. So we were, we suddenly got involved immediately, tried to find out, you know, how, how can we get journalists outside of um, Kandahar first? And remember that this is before, you know, Kabul uh, also was, you know, abandoned by, you know, their president, but then eventually taken over by the Taliban, uh, which sort of, you know, worsened some things. Um, but so how we were, how we started working in the beginning was we were in fact working with the, with the National Security Council in Afghanistan and some international um, some governments um, who had security in Kandahar to pull out some of the journalists who were there. Um, and within, I think within half a day, we were, it, it were like some of the ones were still there and we couldn't get out in the first few hours, we weren't able to get them out too. Um, eventually, you know, and then eventually one of our strategies was to like work with the Taliban because the Taliban were saying, you know, we are, uh, oh, we are going to let the media, uh, you know, do this work. And so we, they were in the beginning, they were really friendly as well. And so we contacted them in Kandahar and got some people out through them. Um, a lot has changed. And I don't want to say that it is safe for journalists in Afghanistan, you know, under Taliban. So I just want to, you know, make sure that doesn't mean in the beginning, whatever happened um, was different. I think we still fear that journalists will be targeted and are being targeted by the Taliban. We have a lot of reports from women journalists who are being targeted in Kabul and other places. Um, but anyway, so these were the few days and a lot was going on. And I think everyone, every entity, whether it was the Afghan government or the Taliban or the international organizations or governments, everyone was grappling with what's happening. And a lot of things, we were able to evacuate some people, relocate them outside of Kandahar um, and into Kabul and some outside of Kabul. Um, in the first week, everything was very different. We were able to evacuate journalists from Kabul, um, you know, in charter flights. Uh, we got them on C-17s um, through the U.S. military. We got journalists out through the U through UK, um, through Qatar. We got a lot of uh, support. Um, um, or I would say that we just worked with the with the Qataris, and that sort of like helped getting a lot of journalists out safely. Um, I think that everyone, it, it's really been like the last two and a half weeks have been just, um, you know, who knows who. And if the journalists were on the list, like right now, we had around 2,500 um, people who applied for assistance. Um, and so we did the wedding. We, we formed a new team as well for this. We have 10 volunteers who are working in different areas. Um, who are, you know, journalists or have worked in security um, and or, or, you know, you know, understand the dynamics and who have been helping in this in this work. Um, and in that we have even now we have hundreds of journalists, at least more than 100 journalists who are urgent, urgent cases where we need to get them out of the country. Um, and um, you were you were mentioning something about, you know, evacuation. We the uh, 80 was last weekend. Um, we now today we are able to evacuate 91 journalists so far um and that is nothing compared to the journalists who are still stuck there like every day you know my my job is to focus on what um you know what is left and what we can do for journalists who are still stuck there now as you know um the airport after the u.s pull out the airports shut down in kabul 
Um, there are other regions, I cannot talk about that, but there are other places we're trying to explore how to get people out. Um, the two things that we're trying to do is to relocate people outside. Of, these are journalists, but also activists, ac academics, women leaders. Yeah. Uh, we have some women parliament parliamentary members as well um, on our list. And these are very important people like we are hearing from journalists who are getting you know reached out by the taliban like taliban last week taliban was going door to door taliban members if you may uh depending on how you want to you know name them but it's you know this is under the taliban government and these are members of the taliban who are going door to door knocking their women journalists on their list and they're knocking doors and telling people not to get out of the homes or telling women that they shouldn't get out or in some of the cases where they have told women journalists that they will be targeted um, and so we were very concerned. We have several uh, women journalists who are in safe houses um, right now. Um, and so we are very concerned about the safety of these journalists. Um, it's something that a lot of people need to collaborate on to work together to, to be able to facilitate this. Um, it's a very precarious situation. One of the things that we are exploring is, you know, third country, and we're also working with the Canadian government and a few other governments where we're able to, uh, you know, to, to find avenues for these journalists to be able to seek asylum. Uh, we just got, um, you know, last week before the U.S. pullout, we got 100 journalists uh, worked out through Brazil. Um, Brazil gave us um, 100 visas. Uh, which is which is helpful. We're trying to work with Albania right now and a few other governments, um, including Canada, to um, sort of find um, safe pathways for, the, for these journalists, but also um, to get them asylum in, in countries where they can live safely. Yeah. We're also working with the Pakistanis who've been, you know, Pakistan, we were able to get anyone who had a foreign passport out of the country who was on our list, anyone who had a foreign passport or a visa, could get out of the country. And we got a lot of help from Pakistan on this, um, but Pakistan has been also very um, careful to work when, you know, before the Taliban government was formed. And um, and now I think it's, it's just harder to get the Afghan journalists out. I also want to mention oh, one of the one of the core dynamics is also that Afghan journalists don't have, most of them don't have passports and let alone visas. So, you know, we've had so much difficulty getting people who had SIVs and visas outside of the country because of the security threat on the ground. Mm -hmm. Imagine the journalists who don't have visas, which is majority of the journalists. Like even now, like I'm every day I am getting messages, you know, from somebody sending me another or we've been getting a lot of lists um, from other organizations as well. And just like every day we're getting lists of new journalists. Um, or activists or women leaders or women academics who are stuck in the country. And um, it's a it's a very precariously dangerous situation for these women. You know, another question is what happens to journalism and reporting when it's going to be shut down completely? Who's who's going to tell the stories from there? Who's what are we what information are we going to get? Foreign journalists have left. The local Afghan journalists are not allowed to come out or step out or report or cover. They're all under threats. So moving forward, what what you know, we want the truth. What 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 version of truth are we going to get and from whom? And who's going to be backing that? That's also another question that we must all answer as we see what's Yeah, happening. I mean, I think Sanya, the answer is in your question, right? I mean. 
journalists are like Afghan journalists are not able to work. I don't know if you saw Tolo news in the beginning, like there's been a lot of things that are going on, right? The Taliban are trying to do a nice PR campaign while at the same time. So when you might have seen the the videos and the pictures of women journalists interviewing the Taliban a few days, yeah. uh, even before the pullout, actually, in a few days after Kabul fell to the Taliban, right? Uh, it was two days after that they'd given an interview to a female journalist and then everyone's like, oh, female journalist. Um, and different people were saying different things, but the point was that, oh, will women journalists be able to work in, in, in Afghanistan? But at the same time, when that was going on, we saw that women were reaching out to us saying Taliban is knocking on our doors. We were putting women journalists in safe houses at, that, at the same time. So there are two parallel stories. Taliban is always going to do some sort of media propaganda. Um, I do also want to mention the two women journalists who were doing television interviews were then later on told by the Taliban to not come to, to work. So everything's like on a daily basis, we are seeing, uh, you know, uh, conflicts and contradictory, contradictory things happening at the same time. We don't believe, uh, you know, sorry to say, we don't believe that any women journalists in any capacity or women in particular in any field will um, be able to have the liberty um, to do what they want to do. I mean, there are women in Herat, you're seeing online as well, they were able to post some things online. These are brave, courageous women who have come out on the street and saying, we want to participate in the government. Um, will the Taliban let them do that? We don't know. We hope that the Taliban realizes that they don't, they don't have to, they can't rule Afghanistan without also including the women because women are, it's a different generation two decades later. Like there are so many women journalists in our, um, and that we were able to evacuate as well and that are left that we want to evacuate who are from this generation of the last two decades. They're like 23, 24. So they were like, they grew up in this environment where they were hoping for a future of this country without the Taliban, right? Mm -hmm. So their ideas is a completely different mindset um, and Taliban would have to figure something out, you know? That's what, that is what we need to remind the Taliban that they need to include these women. And they, if they want to rule Afghanistan, they cannot rule Afghanistan without the women. Yeah, and already the decision during the peace talk was made without having many women's voices included in that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Sanya, what can I, what can I, can I tell you that, you know, Fawzia Kufi, so we were part of, there are different groups that were working on evacuation. We were part of one of the groups that we were working with, uh, you know, in, in that there were so many efforts put into get, getting out of Fawzia Kufi, you know. Um, she's the, you know, like how difficult can it be to get her out? You know, she was on the Taliban uh, peace panel, you know, and it, it's just been difficult to get out these women as well, uh, to, to find safety for these women who are very prominent and working, you know, on the front line, front seat on the, on the table. So, so anyway, so I think that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. I do want to mention, just to answer one of your questions about what kind of um, news are we going to see? Well, the truth is, any journalists who remain in Afghanistan uh, would have to, if they're foreign journalists, they would have to fear for their, you know, security, safety, their ability to get in and out of the country. And there's a lot we know from, like, in the post 9-11 world, what, what, one of the things that I also learned as a journalist uh, in the field was that in very sensitive regions of the world, a lot of times we had to, uh, foreign journalists had to care about doing the kind of reporting that would still allow us access into the country. So I'm not going to say anything further because it's going to be controversial, but 
but I think that 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 journalists who are coming from outside of the there will still be some access that journalists will get inside of Afghanistan, but will they be able to cover Afghanistan the way it needs to be covered? That's a question to ask. Um, and, and the second thing is for Afghan journalists themselves, I don't think, I think there's going to be 90%, 99% more censorship in Afghanistan. Yeah, and we can only hope for the best. Uh, since we're running out of time, uh, my last question to you is, what is your advice for journalists around the world today, especially women? I would say keep going. Uh, I would say let's not sugarcoat this, but it's always hard. I mean, we tell women to keep going and we say, oh, do what you want to do and get out there and do it. But I think it's very important for, to, for, for me to remind women and for us to remind women journalists that it's not easy. Like you would, uh, we know we're in an environment where women get bullied by women. It's not just the men that women have to deal with. Women have to deal with women too. And um, I think that we need to, uh, like for anyone, for anyone working in journalism, just focus on the stories that you do. Um, focus on the work that you want to do and keep going in spite of, even if you don't have any support, just keep going. And, and the second thing I would like to, this is the second thing, it should be the first thing, but it's the second thing purposefully. Um, that first of all, you need to be with you, um, you know, uh, support yourself, be your mentor and support yourself if no one else supports you. But then also find other people. You will find other people. If you reach out to other people, you, you know, you will vibe with somebody and they will, they will help you uh, find mentors in the industry around you. Find people who have done that before and maybe you will reach out to four people and one of them will get back and that's okay. Uh, you will find somebody, you know, I think we're, we're in, in, a, in an interesting environment where women are dealing with a lot like, you know, women are realizing that we don't have to take this anymore. Right. So that's that's one good step forward. But that doesn't mean that's not a solution. We're just realizing that we don't want this. We don't want, uh, you know, discrimination. We don't want to work in this environment. We're just starting to say no. But that no comes with a cost. And so I think a lot of times I see women feeling defeated after they, them saying no and that not finding successful results. I think what I want to say is like, just keep going and no is the beginning. And then you find mentors and people that you will work with um, who will support you and, and be, be open, compassionate and support other people around you too. Cause I think we're all in the same boat. Yes, we are. And on that note, thank you so much, Kiran. It was truly wonderful talking to you. And thank you for this very important conversation. And I'm really happy that we were able to have this because I know how busy you are. This is one of the busiest uh, times for you. So I appreciate that you took the time out to speak to us. Thank you. Thank you, Sania. Really appreciate it. And for those of you who've joined us, thank you so much for watching. I hope you will subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Spotify, and do sign up for our newsletter to get all the updates on the Sanya Faruqi show. I'm going to be seeing you again next week. Stay tuned.